Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 1 of UAB Green and Told. Through Green and Told, we are able to share the stories from members of the UAB family. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. It's my privilege of sharing these stories with you each episode. In today's episode of Green and Told, we welcome Dr. Anthony Hood, Director of Civic Innovation at UAB and an Assistant Professor in the Class School of Business. As Anthony will share, things in high school came really easy for him, but in college, it was a different story. And at that point, you know, once they told me they put me on academic probation, essentially that meant I had one semester to pull my grades up and, or I'd be put out of the university. I said, I'm not going to let you put me out. I quit. However, at UAB, Anthony would finally discover success in the collegiate classroom. It felt like I had unfinished business. And so being able to button up that part of my life was really important. Not only is Anthony's story one of perseverance, but it's one that includes him rubbing elbows with billionaire Warren Buffett. Towards the end, I said, Mr. Buffett, would you mind taking a selfie with me? He said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Dr. Anthony Hood grew up in a UAB home, smack in the middle of Birmingham. The son of a steel-working father and mom who was a UAB nurse, his home always featured little UAB pins and other blazer knickknacks. Young Anthony excelled in school, and because his parents worked long hours, he credits another family member for his early academic success. So I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. She was a homemaker, uh, so she was big on education. And so when I get out, when I got out of school, most of my friends would jump on their bikes and ride their bikes, and I had to go and do homework for an hour or so, and then I can go and play. And so my grandmother just really instilled the importance of academics and study very early on in my career. So what were the top subjects that you enjoyed? Math and science. <clears throat> I, I, I always gravitated to it. It always really came very easy to me. Uh, I went to Wildham Elementary, and so a lot of the grades I was in, we had split grades. So I would be in a class of second and third graders, but I was always in the younger class. Um, but I would always help the older students with their work um, because I would finish my work so fast, and yeah. then I would get in trouble. I would want to get up, go to the pencil sharpener, go to the bathroom, and so my teach my my mom told my teachers, "You got to give Anthony much more challenging work." So my work was to do the third grade work and then kind of tutor them, and so that went from second, third grade, third, fourth grade, fourth, fifth grade. And so I think that really gave me not only a good head start with education, but also gave me this passion for teaching and mentoring. Now, as you grew older, um, was being in academia really on your mind and you wanted to be that route or where were you? Where'd that love come from? I always thought that I was going to be a math and science teacher. And by math and science teacher, meaning like a high school math teacher. I just yeah. thought I was going to teach algebra and trig and, you know, physics or something like that. Uh, it wasn't until like my 12th grade year and I was in ROTC my first three years in high school. Okay. I went to Ramsey High School. And it wasn't until like my end of my 11th, beginning of 12th grade year, I took the ASVAB. Uh, that's the aptitude test for military because in my mind, I assumed that I was going to go to Air Force ROTC and uh, do Air Force and then do the GI Bill, come back and maybe go to school or something like that. Um, but after I took that ASVAB, it showed that I scored off the charts in math and science and mechanical reasoning. I took it to my guidance counselor's office, you know, for her to help me interpret it. Mm -hmm. She said, Anthony, this says that you should consider being an engineer. I never even considered being an engineer. Sure. Um, and I remember she uh, telling me to look in this job outlook handbook. Uh, it's all online now, but back then it was actually a three ring binder. And I looked at the forecasted salaries for math teachers at that time. And this was 92, 93. And I think the, uh, 
the average salary for a school teacher was about twenty-four, twenty-five thousand. Uh, the average entry salary for an engineer was about forty-two thousand wow. at that time. So I changed my major that day in my guidance counselor's office and said, hey, I'm going to be an engineer. But things were about to stray off course for this future educator. It's hard to imagine now, but the path Dr. Hood took nearly derailed him from even earning his Ph.D. First was a stop in Nashville at Tennessee State, where he admits that things didn't quite work out as he planned. Went off to college and uh, I just really lost my mind. Like I was just, I had so much fun. It was, it was just fun. It was my first time being away from home. I didn't have to call and get my parents permission to stay at my buddy's house or my, my friend's room that night. And it was like football games, that kind of stuff. I love playing cards. And so I found my network of people that love playing cards. And I just had a great time. Uh, but as an engineering student, uh, you have to be focused. And I found myself missing a couple classes here or there. I was taking Fortran. I was taking AutoCAD. And those are the kind of classes where you can't miss a class. And I would miss like two consecutive classes. And you miss two consecutive classes when you're taking those kind of classes, I mean, you're pretty much done. And I think part of that is because I just built some bad study habits when I got to high school. I mean, I was, I was so advanced that I really never had to study to do well on exams. Mm -hmm. And I think that caught up with me when I got to college. I was like, oh, I actually have to study now. And, um, but I never did make that adjustment. So how long did you last there? One year. One year. And then you moved to? Then I moved to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Okay. Uh, in my mind, I needed a much more calmer environment. Uh, I felt like I needed to maybe get a little closer to home. Sure. And so in my mind, it made sense to go to the University of Alabama. Uh, but it didn't occur to me that University of Alabama was one of the top party schools in the nation back in 94. Um, and I think it's, it's now number two. <laughs> so they've increased in the polls over the years. Um, but I got down there. Another thing I didn't factor in is how many people from Birmingham went to the University of Alabama. And so many people from my high school were at Alabama. So when I walked in the door, like I had a fully functioning network as soon as I walked in the door. And yeah. Unfortunately, that was a network that liked to party, that liked football. Of course, football is a big deal down there. And uh, I continued to have bad, bad study habits. And so I lasted about a year and a half at the University of Alabama uh, after my third semester, my GPA was about a 1.9. I was put on academic probation. My my last semester, my grades were two Fs, two Ds, and a withdrawal failing. Wow. And at that point, you know, once they told me they put me on academic probation, essentially that meant I, meant I had one semester to pull my grades up and or I'd be put out of the university. I said, I'm not gonna let you put me out, I quit. That just had to been crushing to, <clears throat> to you personally to the ego everything because here you are a, a very bright student mm -hmm. and things just aren't coming together yeah it was uh it was it was very tough uh i think i went through a lot of soul searching at that time i think the biggest challenge that i had was feeling like <clears throat> i let down my parents and yeah. particularly my grandmother because my grandmother had invested so much time in me and you know i was the one that was supposed to make it if nobody else from my community made it i was supposed to make it and I was one that wasn't making it at that time. So my grandmother made me promise. She said, promise me you're gonna go back to school. And I'm like, yeah, grandma, I'm gonna go back. She said, no, make me a promise that you are gonna go back to school and get your degree. I said, I promise, grandma, but I just need a break right now. And uh, that's what, in my mind, I was thinking I was taking a break, but I think there was other part of my mind like, I don't know if I'm going back. Cause there was part of me feel like I didn't need college. Yeah. You know, I felt like I was smart enough that I would figure it out. And you figured it out and you jumped right into the workforce. I did. Um, 
workforce, meaning I worked in the produce section at Food World <laughs> in Fairfield <laughs> for $4.85 an hour. Uh, that was interesting. And I worked a, several part-time jobs, just you know, just trying to make a little ends meet, but at the same time, just re- really trying to figure out life. Um, but uh, a funny thing happened when I was working at a shoe store over Five Points West part-time. I stumbled into my first business venture, uh, gumball machines. It was a guy that came in and he emptied all the gumballs out of the machine. He sprayed it down with Windex. He emptied the quarters out. He went back to the back. He wrote the assistant manager a check for 12 bucks and he left. And I asked the assistant manager, like, what was that all about? He's like, well, that guy pays 10% of whatever his gumball machines make. Hmm. And so again, I was always good at math. And I was like, well, you mean to me that gumball machine made $120? He said, no, he has two machines, because we, we had another location over in Central Plaza. He said, between those two machines, they made $120. And I was like, is that over a year? He's like, no, that's a month. I said, oh, we need some gumball machines. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I say about a month later, me and that assistant manager, we got together and we went in half and half and bought our first gumball machine. Um, I encouraged the assistant manager to tell the gentleman he needed to come and get his gumball machine, because we need to put ours there. Uh, he did that. and. Uh, we made our money back. We reinvested it. We bought another machine. We told him he can get his other machine out of Central Plaza. We put our machine there. And they say, I know, I was an entrepreneur. It was just that fast, just that quick. And they say, you know, I had a fleet of uh, gumball machines. And from there, my best friend talked me into going into commercial cleaning. So we bought a franchise, a commercial cleaning franchise. And hmm. then we started doing special events. And now, now we're in the early 2000s. Then I started flipping houses. Um, and so I, you know, I tell people I was an accidental entrepreneur. After doing that for about four years, it was then that I ended up enrolling at UAB. Um, and he ended up, when I started taking classes at UAB, I was an undeclared major. And I really went because A, my, grandfa- my grandmother made me go back. She kept asking me every now and then, Anthony, when are you gonna go back to school? Anthony, when are you gonna go back to school? And you kept your promise. <clears throat> I kept my promise, it was begrudgingly. But also, I had gotten a job at Bell South. I was a customer service rep. And after I'd been there for a couple months, there were several old, older ladies that worked there. I called them my work mamas. And so my work mamas always took me under their wing. They always bring me food and they would always check on me. But one day they cornered me and they said, young man, let me tell you something. You are too smart not to be in somebody's school. This company will pay for you to go back to school. There's no reason why you shouldn't go. So when your benefits kick in in six months, we expect for you to be in somebody's school. We don't care what school you're gonna go to, but you're going back to school. Yeah. And I kind of brushed them off like I kept brushing my grandmother off over years. And and I mean, they, they was like, no, we're serious. You're gonna go back to school. And they held me accountable to that. And so I think it was because of my work mamas as well as my grandmother is the reason why I ended up at UAB. After this brief message from the UAB National Alumni Society, find out what personal goal Anthony had when it came to his first UAB experience. Sip some wine, sample craft beer, give back. Support student scholarships at the 11th Annual Uncork Education at the Alumni House on Sunday, October 27th, 2019. Join us for a live and silent auction, mystery cork prizes, and two stocked bars that will be given away. Tickets for this popular event are now available. To find out more about the 2019 Uncork Education or to purchase your tickets, visit alumni.uab.edu uncork.
After his early academic struggles in higher education, Anthony hit his stride and was aiming at a 2002 graduation, which was a decade after graduating from high school. I made it my goal that I was not going to go back to my 10-year reunion not having my college degree. You know, going to a school like Ramsey where, like, excellence is just baked in when you come in the door, yeah. you know, I w while I was dropped out, I kept running into people that not only were had finished undergrad, but now they were in law school, they were in medical school, they were in medical school here at UAB, you know, they were starting businesses. In a lot of ways, on one end, it made me feel inadequate, and another way, it put a chip on my shoulder. And it put a chip on my shoulder because I'm like, okay, yeah, you may have your undergrad, you may be working on your degrees, but I have four businesses. I know more about career and life than you do. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I've made up in my mind that, you know, hey, I'm going to be like competing with, with those folks. And um, so I made it my goal. I started here at UAB, I think, end of 99, maybe like the spring quarter. We were in quarter system back then. Mm -hmm. I think spring of 2000. And I made it my goal that I was going to finish my degree before 2003. That would be my 10-year class reunion. At what point did you say, human resources, this is the way I'm going to go? Um, I think I, it was one of those things I, I see a lot with my students now. I started UAB as an undeclared major, but my guidance counselor happened to be a gentleman named Glenn Kinsler, and he was running Alabama Launchpad, which mm -hmm. is our statewide business pitch competition. And so, you know, he was counseling me, saying, okay, you got this good job at Bell South, so you're in business, you have several entrepreneurial ventures, have you ever considered taking business classes? So when I came to UAB, I didn't know what I was going to major in. I was thinking I was going to get back into engineering. But he encouraged me, just take a couple business classes and see how you like it. So I took like accounting and finance, and it's like the light bulbs went off for me because what I found is that I could immediately apply what I was taking in my UAB classes to what I was doing in my businesses. Sure, yeah. And then vice versa, the experiences that I had in my businesses, I was able to bring those into the classroom and enrich the class discussion. And so school meant a totally different thing for me that second time around as opposed to the first time around because I didn't have the relevance. When I was taking the engineering classes, I didn't, I couldn't make a connection between what I was learning in the classroom and how I was actually going to use that in real life. But I was able to take what I was learning at UAB and apply it to my businesses, but also what I was doing on my day job. And um, I, I couldn't wait to get to class. Yeah. Every day, I couldn't wait. Spring 2002. Yep. You could stand there and put up your arms and go, I did it. Yep. I've what, got December this. 2002. December 2002. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the relief, the satisfaction just personally for you that you attained this and you can go to your grandma, you can go to your work moms and say, I did it. Thank you. It was exactly that. You know, being able to, it, it felt like I had unfinished business. And so being able to button up that part of my life was really important. And then to have my grandmother and my mother and my father and my friends there, I mean, it, it meant the world to me. So you you leave there um, in 2002, but you came back. Mm -hmm. You went to get your MBA. <clears throat> I did. Why was it important to take that next step at that point? Actually, when I was working on my undergrad, I had a professor, George Munkus. Uh, he was one of my HR professors. And uh, at the time, I was thinking about taking a early separation package from the company because they were offering, you know, lump sums of money for people to quit Yeah. <laughs> because they were trying to right-size the organization. And so I was thinking about taking one of these lump sums because my real estate business was going very well. And so I felt like I wanted to be a full-time entrepreneur. And so I went to Dr. Monk and said, hey, Dr. Monk, I'm struggling with this. I'm thinking about leaving my job and being a full-time entrepreneur, but it's a great company. 
You know, I come from this long line of people that work at companies for 30 years. So nobody leaves Bell South. Like this is a company where you start when you're 17 and you work until you're 50. Yeah. You know, and then you go and start working somewhere else and get another retirement. And he said, young man, you ever thought about getting a PhD? I was like, no, like teachers don't make any money. <laughs> and he said, well, being a professor is a little bit different than being a high school teacher. He said, I think you have what it takes. He said, you should consider it. And he asked me, he said, you ever heard of this organization called the PhD Project? I was like, no. He said, well, you should look up the PhD Project. They're an organization that encourages minorities to get their PhDs in business-related fields, and I think you have what it takes to be a faculty member. And I really just kind of brushed it off. I'm like, that's not what I came here to talk to him about. <laughs> he yeah. still didn't answer my question. Uh, but I ended up staying with the company, and it was only a couple years later that I was in the barbershop, and I was looking through a Black Enterprise magazine, and I saw this full layout spread for the PhD Project. Have you ever considered being a professor? And I was like... Oh, that's that thing Dr. Munkus was talking about. Anyway, they have this annual conference that if you accept it, they pay for all your airfare, your travel. You come to Chicago for three days, and they pretty much lay out everything that you need to know around is getting a PhD in business the right thing for you. So I applied wow. to that, uh, got accepted, went to it, and my mind was just blown. I was like, what I thought being a professor slash teacher is nothing like what it is in reality. Yeah. So I left that thinking, okay, I want to do this. Because originally I was thinking that I was going to come back and teach after I retired from the phone company. I was going to work at the phone company 30 years or maybe do the full-time entrepreneur thing and then as a give back, come and teach classes in the evening. But going through that, going to that conference helped me understand that I can make a career out of this. And so it was then that I started crafting a plan of how do I get my PhD? And because I had such a less than stellar academic uh track record in undergrad, I felt like I needed to go back and get my master's to, you know, prove that I was ready for higher level graduate studies. In 2009, Anthony earned his master's from the UAB Collatt School of Business, but he wasn't done. His academic adventure included being part of the Harvard Business School's Young American Leaders Program, Stanford University's Teaching and Learning Studio, and the Morehouse School of Medicine Community Health Leadership Program. Everything that he came back to UAB for catapulted him into the next stage of his career. And I don't know that I saw my career unfolding like that. I, I know I, I didn't see my career unfolding like that. Um, but I'm really just thankful for the opportunities that have been provided to me. The, the foundation that I got here at UAB, I mean, it, it prepared me for doctoral studies. Um, and, you know, it's, it's important to note about, you know, my journey is that I got accepted into the PhD program here at UAB in Health Administration and the Strategic Management Track and also the University of Alabama in their management program. It would have been more convenient for me to go to UAB's PhD program because I could have stayed here. By this time I was married, my wife and I had just had our first child, so I had a newborn child. Actually, I got the call that I was accepted to the PhD program the day after my, my first child was born. Um, but in my mind, UAB was a place that I wanted to start my, my career as a professor. And one of the things in academia, they say that typically universities don't hire their own graduates. So I figured if I wanted to be on faculty at UAB, I couldn't go to school at UAB to get my PhD. So yeah. I opted to go to University of Alabama for my PhD and just commute it there through the entire time in the hopes that once I was finishing up my doctoral program that there may be an opportunity available for me at UAB. But that was a big gamble and it was a, it was a big risk. And it was one that really paid off for me. So you mentioned that you wanted, you knew you wanted to come back here to be a professor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why UAB? Because uh, I wanted to make a difference in my community. 
Um, and so what I saw from being a professor was the, uh, the opportunity to be able to tie together what I'm learning in the classroom, being that faculty member, shaping young minds, but then helping to deploy them out into the community to really help a struggling community. Um, you know, I was born in 1975, so I've seen you know, the rise, the decline, and now the uptick again in Birmingham. And so, you know, I wanted to start my career here because I wanted to make a difference here. And just seeing all the resources that UAB has, I know that UAB can make a difference in the community. And you have made it a point to put research and even do impact things for the community. Why is it so important to really get back to the roots of Birmingham, to where it was, and how... How did you get into that, and where does that interest come from? Well, I mean, th this community shaped me. You know, it shaped my, my grandparents, you know, my parents. I feel like I had a really good upbringing, and I'm just I'm just grateful. You know, I, again, it was a very blue-collar community, so we didn't have much, but we had everything that we needed. Um, everybody in my small-knit community in Wylam was civically engaged. Everybody went to the neighborhood association meetings. Back then, we called it the Civic League. Everybody went to civic league meetings, you know, once a month or twice a month. Everybody walked to church. You know, we had like little grocery stores that you can walk to. And it was just a very community thing. Like I could walk up and down that street that I grew up on. I can go into anybody's house and get a meal, sleep on a couch. And uh, I don't feel like we have that now. I feel like everybody just lives so far away from each other and people don't really know their neighbors. And you see a lot of blighted making and abandoned properties, you know, in a lot of our communities. And uh, that just doesn't sit well with me. And I know that we can do better because we have such an abundance of resources in this community. I mean, I think oftentimes people look at and say that we have these distressed and disinvested communities, which we do. But then we, you know, you see in other communities where there's just like an embarrassment of resources. So it feels like there's just like a miscoordination of the resources that we have in the community. Sure. And for me, it just feels like a jigsaw puzzle. And so I just want to be able to connect those that have resources with those that don't have resources so that we can make our community a lot more equitable and a lot more inclusive. So just how does a two-time college dropout, somebody who is self-built, get to rub shoulders with the likes of Apple CEO Tim Cook and billionaire Warren Buffett? One of the jobs that I had when I was dropped out was a life insurance salesman. And I did that for about a year and a half. And we used to have a, a saying that shy salesmen have skinny kids. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I'm an introvert. Uh, you won't know it by the way that I am right now, but yeah. uh, it wasn't until I got that job that it really brought me out of my shell. We used to have this thing where you had to talk to at least 10 people every day in order to get seven no's, but you get three maybes. And out of those three maybes, you get an opportunity to go into somebody's house, present your product, and then hopefully make a sale. And we had to do that 10 times a day, five days a week. And after you do that for a year and a half, you just become fearless. Like, you talk to anybody. And, you know, I tell my students now, you know, a lot of them are debating that first job. And I, I encourage them, go get a sales job. It'll be one of the best experiences that you ever had. You don't have to do it forever, but just do it for a certain amount of time. So that job made me fearless. I feel like I can walk up to anybody, whether they are CEO, executive director, or even somebody that's homeless. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, people are people. And people have once they have desires and you just have a conversation with people and i think having conversation with people helps them as well as you recognize the humanity that exists in all of us so you know being at uab affords me a lot of opportunities to sit in front of a lot of leaders and uh, 
having those kind of conversations with them is something I really appreciate. So what was it like meeting Mr. Cook <coughs> and Mr. Buffett? You know, it was a, it was an awesome experience. I actually met Warren Buffett because of my work with the Whitmore Foundation. We were at a purpose-built communities conference, and uh, Mr. Buffett is a big supporter of purpose-built communities, and he was the keynote speaker uh, at our conference. And it was lunchtime, and I was sitting at a table, and he was sitting at the table next to me, and he was just sitting there by himself, just kind of twiddling his thumbs. I just kind of looked around, I was like, is nobody actually going to go and sit and talk to this man? So again, I just kicked into action. I just went over there and said, hey, Mr. Buffett, how you doing? My name is Anthony Hood. Can I talk to you for a minute? He said, absolutely, Anthony, sit down. And we just sat down and just had a wonderful conversation. And, you know, we talked, and towards the end, I said, Mr. Buffett, would you mind taking a selfie with me? He said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we, we took our selfie. Now, my friends that went to the conference with me were pretty upset. It's like, man, why didn't we do that? I'm like, I don't know why you didn't do it. <laughs> Looking back, mm -hmm. now 25 years from graduating high school, yeah. how has UAB helped you and how is UAB going to help you for the next 25 plus years? That is a great question. Um, you know, I, I am a two-time alum of UAB, which I cherish that because that gives me a lot of validity, I think, in the classroom because I can literally tell my students, I have sat in your seats, literally. Um, so I think that's great. And now that I'm a tenure professor, I had this wonderful opportunity to work with the president and the president's office, you know, doing uh, civic innovation for the university. I mean, that is a wonderful opportunity. So how I see my career going forward, I think it's more of the same. It's more community engagement. It's more trying to connect the dots between higher ed, the corporate community, our elected officials, as well as our nonprofit organizations, and probably more importantly, our community leaders, those neighborhood association presidents, the people who actually live, work, play, learn, and serve in the community. And so making sure that we have these effective partnerships is something that I want to continue to be at the core of. At the same time, bringing my business background to bear on those type of opportunities, to me, is a dream job. You know, don't tell anybody, but I would probably do this job for free. Uh, but I really appreciate the fact that UAB pays me to do it. Over the past few years, Dr. Hood has been part of many local initiatives. He was a member of Birmingham Mayor Randall Woodfin's Entrepreneurship and Economic Development Transition Committee, the Task Force to Preserve Birmingham's Civil Rights District, the Woodlawn Foundation, Birmingham's 200 Bicentennial Planning Committee, and others. Dr. Hood graduated from UAB in 2002 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Resources and in 2008 with an MBA. With a strong connection to UAB, just what does it mean to be a blazer? Being a blazer is about blazing a trail. It's about being an innovator. It's about doing what's non-traditional. And uh, that's something that I think aligns well with how I see my world and how I see my career. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Hood or hear more UAB Green and Toll episodes, check out our podcast page at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review of today's show. Have a question or a future topic? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at UAB Alumni and Instagram at UAB underscore alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers.